Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod brought to you by Asahi Super Dry. I'm Andy Rowan, Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be chatting about one of the best rugby weekends of all time. A win for England and a semi-final to look forward to, but defeats for Wales and Ireland. We'll be analysing the two epic corner finals in Paris and we'll be chatting to Portugal captain Thomas Appleton after they stole everyone's hearts in the pool stages. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Why so flat, Andy Rowe? Am I flat? You should be absolutely buzzing, Andy Rowe. You've got out of jail. It's been a big weekend, lads. It's been a big weekend of celebration and a big... Um, That's enough from you. That's enough from you, Jim. Right. How That's are okay. you? Right, all good. <laughs> <laughs> By four. By four. That's all uh, I'll say. All blacks, all blacks. Uh, James, how's Parry? It looked incroyable. Absolutely immense. And I'm going to make an apology to Andy Rowe. I'm sorry. That'll do. Because he did say, <laughs> that's it, the All Blacks were going to win. I've got to be honest. Right, okay. Andy Rowe texted me in the week and said, mate, do you want some insight on the All Blacks? I was like, mate, insight? I know the game inside out. I, I watched the Breakdown podcast. I listened to Jeff Wilson, John Kerwin, Kirsty, who does the show, Mills, Mully, Aina. Like, I do my homework. I know enough. I know that Sam Kane isn't the right man to captain the All Blacks. I know that their Type 5 isn't powerful, so I just regurgitate what they say. And my goodness me, Andy Rowe, listen to him laugh. He's absolutely lovely. We'll get into that. I'm going to answer your question, Goody. Paris, unbelievable. And I'm going to double down. I'm going to top the Ireland-South Africa game. I'm going to top the Scotland-Ireland game. I'm going to top the opener, France-New Zealand. The two games at the weekend... And I say to it feels like there was just two games, didn't there? No. <laughs> I know what you're saying about the atmosphere and intensity and all that stuff, but the other two games had equal jeopardy on them. They went to the wire pretty much, didn't they, both of them? So all four games went to the wire, but everyone's talking about the big two in Paris that were ridiculous. Goody, you mentioned the other two games, and yeah, you're right, there were four games, and they were all close. They were all tight. There was equal amount of jeopardy, as you say, with all of them. Was that the best weekend of rugby you've ever seen? Comfortably, yeah. Yeah, we, I mean, we've all seen amazing games individually, but to get four games, and especially the two in Paris, at the levels they were at, you know, I'm sat there down in Flatiron Square hosting that, watching the England game, and at 24-10, I'm like, ah, oh, happy days, semi-finals, here we go. And it's like game over, and then Fiji do what Fiji do, and we'll talk about the games in a bit. But the four games, you can't get away from the brilliance of, first and foremost, that Ireland game against New Zealand and how it went down to the wire, how New Zealand flew out the blocks, the levels that the boys are playing at, the skill level when they're absolutely fucked, but also the power throughout the game, the hits. And you can, Jim will probably attest to this, you can hear it pitch side. You can, it comes through your TV, some of the the hits and the power. The only thing I didn't hear was any Ardi Severe going, <laughs> do you hear any of that pitch side, Jim, when he's at the end, you, in a row? At the end, when they won, yeah. he was like a man possessed. Yeah. He played like it as well, didn't he, to be fair. He was an absolute hero. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, flip of a coin for the big games in Paris. Both games could have gone either way. That's what you want. I think Andy Farrell summed it up really well after the game. We all love this game because of the passion and the intensity in the games. And sport is cruel. But it's bums off seat stuff the whole time. The speed of the game. And I'm looking at it going, not a chance that me and Jim Hamilton ever, ever played at that level. And I know the game's obviously gone through the roof in terms of fitness and physicality since we retired. But 
Jeez. I mean, it just looked absolutely phenomenal. And for a casual fan, for a neutral fan, for a fan of every team that was involved in it, yes, there's going to be heartbreak from Wales and Fiji, Ireland and France. But to say you've watched those games and how everyone went to the wire was just the best weekend of rugby that I think I've probably ever seen across four matches. Let's go to Paris then. France, they're out. They're out, lads. Massive. They're out. And it's sad. Is it? I think it is sad for the tournament that the host nations are out. No, not for me. Hold on, you celebrated when England got knocked out of the group stages of 2015, Pat. It was funny, though. Was that sad? <laughs> did I celebrate, did I? Look at you now. It's not sad, lads. The better team won. I didn't celebrate at all. I was gutted because I weren't there with Scotland. <laughs> Andy Rowe did. I think the tournament is worse for not having France in it. But there's no... There's no it's sport. Like someone was going to lose. Either, either the world champions were going to be out or France were going to be out. So either way, it was would have been sad. But what was building around this French team and the side narrative around Anton Dupont, the atmosphere in the stadium, how big the sport is in France, the host nations, the build-up to that, the fact that they're now out, Oot. it kind of takes a little bit of that. Sorry, I've, I, I'm underplaying it. It takes out all the energy because... I just think the tournament is less for not having the French go all the way. But as people know, I'm a big South African fan and I don't think any team beats France last night. And I said this before the game and I said it last week because I had the one prediction I got right was South Africa beating France. If any team were going to beat France and put out the fire, it was the world champions in South Africa because the pressure on France and Ireland going into them games, they've never won a World Cup. France have been in three finals and come away with nothing if South Africa lose that game fair play host nations France we're the current world champions we won it last time round it's someone else's go so the way that that game started France get the early try they looked unplayable at points especially in that first half the way that South Africa play the players that they've got the physicality the size of the human beings all of these different things that we know about we've spoken about before there was one team that could beat them, I think, last night. And it was the team that beat them in South Africa. So in answer to your question, Andy Rowe, yes, it's sad that France are out, but it actually just shows you how good South Africa are. And they're now on course to get back-to-back World Cups, which is what I had tender. I had the beast pitch side. I was like, what is it? What is the motivational driver? And he said, it's to do what the All Blacks did in 2011, then 2015, is go back-to-back. It ain't happening. England are in town. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, I understand your point, Jim, about the French and it's built up to be their World Cup and it's sad. I ain't sad that the French are gone, boys. I was fully South African on Sunday night. Get me to Saturday. I don't want South Africa to do anything more in this competition. But I get your point and, you know, it's all been built up around Anton Dupont and the team. Imagine Sean Edwards today. He would be absolutely raging. And the top four teams all played against each other in Paris, let's be honest. There was a Nats whisker to choose between them, wasn't there, in each game. And that's the beauty of how good this World Cup has been. Yes, it's sad that two big teams have gone out at the quarterfinal stage. But as people say, you've got to beat pretty much everyone or you've got to beat a team that's beaten another bloody good team to win it. So there's no sort of sob stories around France going out. Yes, the last two weeks of the World Cup now, there's no French team in it. There might be a little less atmosphere around the country, but... A little less. Well, yeah, there will be a little less. It's going to suck the life out of it, isn't it? No, it's not going to suck the life out of it. 
I don't think. Yes, it will be less because the French aren't there, but you're still going to see packed stadiums. You know, you could equally say, and there was one comment I saw on social media, it might have been in a press conference, that the French economy is going to struggle now, the Irish are going to own because they have absolutely torn the place to pieces and spent cash in bars and all that stuff. So you could equally argue that with the Irish gone home, but don't worry, the English are coming and we've been scrapping in the stands with each other. Napoleon was tipping boys over seats and all that stuff. Napoleon was about 12 by yeah. the look of him on social <laughs> hey, media. He should have got a red card for that flip tackle as well. But yeah, I mean, we ain't seeing many Kiwis over there, are we? And, and yeah, I get your point. But it's rugby. As Jim said, you've got the world champions knocking out the hosts who were one of the favourites in the best game of rugby, along with Ireland New Zealand, that we've seen. Could have been a final, couldn't it? Either of those two games of the final, you know, you'd have said, what a World Cup. Some standout performances from South Africa. Ebenezer Wow. my goodness me. Not just his try, right? He should never, never have been yellow card either. That's a rugby collision. I don't want to get into all that because I've been biting my lip over the last kind of few weeks with all these different things, probably with my role as well, that I shouldn't be commenting on it. But I thought he was the best player on the pitch. And we could talk about Jesse Creel, Cheson Colby, all these other players in the South African team. The French... Quagga Smith. Quagga Smith was unbelievable when he came on as well. Dion Ferry as well came on in the back row. But Ebenezer Beth, that try that he scored, I think there was two try-saving tackles. Yeah. The kick that went up in the air from Kobus Reinach, which for both take. New Zealand and for South Africa... That was the difference was around their kicking game as well in them 50-50s that went up in the air. Well, they got two tries from it, didn't they? Yeah. But Ebenezer was involved yeah. in that as well. On the kick chase, I mentioned the try-saving tackles, scored a try. He is, like, he's the best second row in the world, by I'd say, by some distance. He could be the best player in the world. Yeah, I, I'd say he'd be up for World Player of the Year the way that he's played, depending on how far South Africa go, which I think they'll make a final and then it's a 50-50 game against the All Blacks. But his performance and the selection of how Rassi Erasmus and how funny was it? So you see Rassi, when South Africa won, one of the fans has passed him over a plastic cup of champagne. He's buffaloed it. It's absolute chaos. What a bloke. <laughs> Such a smart coach. Yeah. You know, to go into that game and the makeup of the team, not going in with Faf de Klerk, Back in Manny Leboc, who kicks them conversions from ridiculously hard places to back his players, to not have Jasper Visa and, and pick Dwayne Vermeulen, who wasn't playing against Ireland when they played against Ireland. I mean, just... Genius, mate. He's a genius. He is a genius coach. You know how he picks his teams. Yeah, maybe share that, Andy Rowe. Maybe you can share that because this insight into it, you might explain it better. Like he isn't just based on emotion. Whether or not it's true or not, I've heard it as well. But let's just say it is true and then Arati can come out and probably say that we're lying, which probably means it's true. <laughs> well, I heard Heineken Mayer say it, the former Springboks coach, and they were briefed by Rassi about how he picks his teams. And they, he works on battle stats. So it's the time in between a meaningful impact on the game. So some players might take two minutes 20 for argument's sake to make a meaningful impact whether that's a carry over the advantage line or a turnover or you're slowing the ball down or something in your position that's a meaningful impact on the game and do you know who's got the highest battle stats Cheslin Peter Stuff to Toy Quagga Smith Quagga Smith yeah, there we go. And I said how good he was off the bench He said he is a sensational player Not many people if any pick him in the starting back row that shows the brilliance of 
Razi Erasmus in how he uses his bench. And, you know, those battle stats are phenomenal. Like, Jim, yours would have been about 40 minutes and mine would have been about 42 minutes for a positive impact on a game. <laughs> Do you add time on if you're negative? Because we'd be absolutely <laughs> fucked, Jim. Negative impacts. As long as I got one, I'd be happy. But I, this, this is a throwaway. It's almost a bit of a joke. South Africa deserved to win the game. But do you think Ben O'Keefe was privy to Quagga Smith's battle stats because he was the only player in the whole game that could support his body weight and it had nothing to do with his hand being on the ground which was the turnover which Andre Pollard kicked from the halfway I thought Ben O'Keefe had a good game I'm not happy with Dupont coming out and saying what he said he's penalised Faf de Klerk who I thought was amazing when he came I was so shocked that Faf was on the bench behind Kovas Reinach but again Razzie genius you know you could pick out so many things you know Faf passes the ball at someone's buttocks when Andre Pollard's in the boot for the drop goal. He just said, no, nah, you're not having that scrum to France. But Goody, on Ben O'Keefe, right? Okay, it's the easiest thing to do going at the refs. I've got a big issue with Ben O'Keefe. Really? And that game. I don't think you can go into a game of that magnitude and you cannot speak a word of French. Yeah, that's true. Mm. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care. Like, as in, you have to be able to level with that team. Who's to blame? Who's to blame? Who's in charge of picking the referees? I'll give you two referees that weren't working this weekend that can both speak French. One, Luke Pierce. Two, my mate Andrew Brace. Mate, they both came up to me. They like, literally like the Chuckle Brothers. They yeah. came up to me when I was pitched. Like, Where's Goody? <laughs> I said, Leave it. <laughs> and yeah, but that's and look. It's easy to sit here. And this isn't a slight on Ben O'Keefe. Like, it's not an easy thing to do. No. But my word, you have to be able to communicate in the native tongue. Goody, what was your thoughts on the charge down from Colby? Well, do you know, my initial thought was, how the fuck? And then you're like, wow, because they're obviously TV replays. Again, bit of a moan. You don't see the whole big picture. And I thought, I wonder if they're checking it. Because touchline conversion, Ramos has probably never been charged down like that in his life. And I've been there as a kicker where people charge you early and it takes big plums to stand still because most kickers see an early charge and think, oh my God, I've got to try and kick the ball. But I posted a clip on social media because I put it out there on Twitter. Has anyone got the footage? And I got sent this wide shot that's now been taken down. And I'm going to say it, he's offside. <laughs> By about 10 metres. Oh, he's out of the line. It's not 10, it's probably five. But you cannot fault Cheslin Colby's effort and desire and all the... It's a non-negotiable, right? Something that doesn't require skill, it requires effort, pace and doing the dirty things that not many players do. So he's taken the risk and he's got the reward. But if a TMO isn't having a poo or got his head in the biscuit tin, I hope he checked it. And if he did, he's probably wrong because he was <laughs> he was in front of the line. He was in front of the line. And I'm not saying that... France win the game if the conversion gets retaken because the easy thing to say Ramos gets it Ramos worldy of a kicker by the way and I said it pre-World Cup but the two points could have been the difference on that and without bringing it back to me that was my point of difference. That was my battle skill. That was my battle point. <laughs> I would charge down everything. I swear conversions. to God. I chased everything. I was like a dog <laughs> with a bone. Mr. Gilmore's jacket. The Saracens coaches will back me up. Did you ever on get this one? If we ever Did you ever get, get one, Jim? No, no, <laughs> no. But my God. Jim, run. I put them off. I tell you now. Charge down was my forte. You put them off. You can't make noise. And if you're getting nowhere near a charge down, then what? how are you putting them off? Shitting themselves, mate. Because the big fella's coming. That was me. I charged down every single kick. And got none. 
and got none. But my God, the output. <laughs> Effort, though. That's the battle skill, whatever they call it. Battle point. Well, Jim, the other game in Paris, brutal final passage of play, wasn't it? Was it like 37 phases or something? 37. I was a pundit, a media analyst, a hype man who said that the All Blacks didn't have the power. Like, I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen much of Richie Mwanga at that highest level. How good? Oh, goody, he was unbelievable. You you could maybe talk about him. For me, the golden story out of that game was Sam Kane. Yeah. So I had the great Richie McCaw pitch side with me, and he's the greatest to have ever done it. Before him, Josh Cronfeld. Before him, you had Michael Jones. Like the number seven jersey in all blacks colours is I would say the most iconic jersey as well as Jonah Lomu's number eleven. And the pressure on Sam Kane, we were talking about it couple of weeks ago on the show that I was doing I know we've spoken about it on here we touched on it last week would they start with Sam Kane Andy Rowe you thought the All Blacks would go all in on him and they did and think about what happened right so actually when I was looking at stuff before the game like Peter Omani saying to him you just a shit Richie McCall yeah <laughs> before all that in his mind, the fact that he was injured in the tournament, back spasms, and he's kind of limped his way back into that game. His face when they came out, I remember seeing it on the big screen. Not that, oh, he means business, and if they didn't win the game, I would have even brought it up. That was one of the best performances of a back row, well, him and Ardy Surveyor, but Sam Kane especially. That's one of the biggest performances I've seen in terms of the physical intent and the violence and physicality at the breakdown. That is, for me was a large part of what they won the game. Like, yes, the short kicking game and all these things and how accurate they were in attack. But just talking of Sam Kane, I am so happy for him because of the pressure that he's been under. He's a fucking All Blacks hero after that performance. It was unbelievable. Fair play to him. And Andy Rowe, you lot have been questioning him as well back home. So do you owe him an apology? I think last year his form was poor. And but no, just say sorry. That's enough. Just say sorry. His just form... say Sam Kane officially. I am sorry, his... and all of New Zealand are sorry for questioning you. I didn't question him this year. I'll oh, deny it. Deny, deny. I said th- this year. This year he's been playing really well. Andy Rowe did say that they should go there. Yeah, but I'm talking about what they've been saying about him behind his back. Last year, he when he was coming back from injury, he was poor. Why have you gone red, Andy Rowe? <laughs> just, just say sorry, mate. This year, I think that he he's played outstanding. He's been he's been really good. I think he's a different kind of seven than what the All Blacks maybe used to. He's not a fetcher. He's a banger. Like, he just hits people and wants to hurt them. He was fetching as well, though, wasn't he? Like, he was banging and fetching. Like, it was it was his best ever game, I think. His best ever game. You, you talk about the undertones in it. And I've seen a screenshot of some of Sam Kane's WhatsApps. I mean, who's Judas Sam Kane to send that screenshot of the WhatsApp? But he's talking about what Ritalik said after the game to <laughs> Peter Omani. I mean, there was, there's a few bits. Obviously, Sam Kane, he's messaging one of his mates. We don't know who his mate is. So Rico Ioane's come out. He told Johnny Sexton to enjoy retirement and don't miss the flight home tomorrow. That's why Johnny Sexton obviously lost. Fucking fuck, fuck! And has got mad. And then to add to it, he said, uh, Brody Ritalik said to Peter Omani, off the back of what Peter Omani said to Sam Kane. You just a shit, Richie McCaw. He said, uh, "Oi, Peter, four more years, you fuckwit." <laughs> From Retallick. So I shouldn't laugh because I love the Irish. Well, that's part of it. That's the gamesmanship, isn't it? Because they started it. Yeah, and obviously there's not a bit of ill feeling there, but are there is? Yeah, okay, there is. Let's dress it up. The fucking All Blacks hate the Irish because they went to your country, took the record. They've been hyped up, and do you know what? 
it probably hurts the All Blacks more than any other team to hear another team being talked up as the number one team in the world because historically, the majority of the time, it's been the All Blacks, hasn't it? So they're taking it very personally. You know, people have spoken about what's been said before, but there was an absolute edge. And I don't think anyone who's watched the All Blacks play over the last three months has probably thought they had that level of intensity to go to, unless you were probably a Kiwi or someone from inside the camp that just knew the specimens that are out there. I don't want to say talk about refereeing decisions. And I tweeted at the start, I thought Wayne Barnes was letting the All Blacks get away with a fair bit at the breakdown in the first 10 minutes. A couple of occasions when they didn't roll in their own 22 and there was some hands on the floor and all this stuff. But what do you mean Sam Whitelock made the hit at the end and didn't release and then got the turnover? What are you on about, Jim? Wasn't that just Jim Hamilton-esque, though, that, that turnover? No, Jim used to do the clap, hands in the air, show clear hands and then go back on the ball. Sam Whitelock has not even released. He's just gone straight down on the ball. But we're picking. Ireland will be devastated. They'll look at themselves first and foremost. Johnny Sexton misses a pretty simple kick at goal, which you never see him miss. And bless him, I actually tweeted about it on 65 minutes. The tank was empty. He was struggling to run around. He's 38, 39 years of age, bless him. He's not done 80 minutes, has he, at that level? And I don't even know when the last time would have been. Well, I don't think anyone's done it at that level because it was such a high level. And then the fact that Sexton's only ever really played 60 minutes of games, 70 minutes maybe, because they've been winning comfortably, they can take him off. But Should they have taken him off earlier? Could they have taken him off? No, I don't. I think it's too big a thing to take him off. Hindsight, maybe they could have or should have. But you know, you then you could Connor Murray real dumb penalty that he gave away, which meant they had to go for the try in all those last phases, as opposed to the drop goal or something like that. Kelleher when he gets held up, tip of the absolute Jim Hamilton slipper to Geordie Barrett. Geordie Barrett, my goodness me, that one in the game, that one in the game. But Kelleher will look back on it and go, he broke off too early. Now you're the line out noise, Jim, the mall extraordinaire. You're looking at that guy and you've broken off too early, haven't you? Well, in hindsight, yes. But if Geordie Barrett's leg wasn't there and he scores it, he's a hero, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. But these things, Goody, right, with the All Blacks, the cracks in their team, what we would speak about normally, and we can only go based on four years ago against England and then what we've seen since then, like losses to Australia, losses to Argentina, losing to Ireland at home, summer series, getting smoked by South Africa. So all this is based on stuff that I've seen. So line-out's not amazing. The scrum isn't as good like as some of the best teams in the world. Sam Kane, the breakdown, the power in the tight five, all of them small cracks within the All Blacks weren't there against Ireland. No. Like they, they weren't. Their scrum was dominant, as in... They got the calls of Wayne Barnes, which I thought was right. And I've seen people online thinking that Porter was penalised and it was wrong. No, I've seen the scrums. And as hard as they are to referee, they were the right decisions. Their line-out was accurate. Porter will be frustrated he didn't change his behaviour, I suppose. He was so, so dialled in, wasn't he? You know, if you want to be a noise about it, the All Blacks scrummaged so well because they weren't fighting to go forward. They wanted stability. They wanted parity. Whereas Ireland wanted to monster them. They won every scrum. There you go. There's another stat out there as well. Did they not make one handling error? Not one. Not one handling error. It was a flawless performance. 41 minutes, 54 seconds ball in playtime. Oh, maybe Fozzie was right about ball in playtime. Well, it, I mean, it's a great test spectacle, not testicle. But it, it's flipping the coin. It could have gone either way, couldn't it? And uh, balance of power. Ireland will look at it and go, they had it within their own control to win that game by a few little errors. 
but to the neutral looking at it going like Ireland have to graft and graft and graft for their tries New Zealand cut them to shreds with classic All Blacks attack like Moanga when he's made the break off that line out you just see Finley Bielham slow off the line defensively he's just come on I think and maybe he's a little bit out of kilter Dan Sheehan at the tail of the line out doesn't know whether to go drift onto Moanga or wait for the inside ball because Finley Bielham's just behind Add into that, Ty Burns tried to get through the line out and attack the nine and then running a line to catch up back in defence. And it's just, and you're talking quarter of a metre probably, half a metre max of being out of position and bang, Moanga's through onto Jordan. Night, night, no biscuit. Hell of a try. And they're, they're the finest of margins, aren't they? You know, the finest of margins, you're talking about Geordie Barrett's legs. Kelleher scores that try, Ireland win the game. So we are talking about the most minute details of one of the greatest games of rugby alongside South Africa, France, to have ever been witnessed, in my opinion. And that start of 41 minutes and 54 seconds ball in playtime is a ridiculous stat. No wonder the boys are walking at the end. They empty the tanks. And what I will say, I think some people said it before the game, New Zealand played their first game against France, was their big test. They've had an easy run since then in terms of freshness, and all that stuff. Ireland about to go to the well and back to beat South Africa, to beat Scotland. You know, going to get up against Tonga. There's some stat that came out. A lot of the boys, some of them have started pretty much every game, haven't they? I think Hugo Keenan's played every minute, as has someone else. I can't remember who the other one was. But either way, my God, the All Blacks are back. Let's have a look at England then, because, oh, yes. God, oh, wow, that was close. That was close. Just keeping the the flag flying for the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, Andy Rowe, you sound absolutely pumped to talk about England being the only undefeated team at the World Cup. There's a Scotsman, a Welshman and an Irishman walk into a bar. The Englishman ain't there because he's still in the World Cup. The rest of them, they've all gone home. Call it arrogance. Okay, we've had an easy path into the semis and this is where it starts for England. But it was a hugely improved performance from what we've seen. And I've been honest about England. Argentina was shocking. We beat Argentina in a way of playing after getting Curry sent off. The Japan game was underwhelming. They were pretty poor, but England just did enough to win and you know got a few tries towards the end. Chile, I mean, the under-12s could have beaten Chile, no disrespect, but put 70 on them. And then we were shocking against Samoa, let's be honest, but we found a way to win. For the first 60 minutes, we were pretty much in control of that game. And finally, Steve Borthwick has picked Farrell at 10 and stopped messing around. And we spoke about it last week, didn't we, around Ford, Farrell, you know, he's picked him at 10. And Faz, I thought, was outstanding. You know, in his comfortable position as 10, being the alpha, being the boss, whether you like him, hate him, love him, not bothered, whatever, he was outstanding. Goal kicking was the difference. You know, obviously Fiji missed a few kicks at goal. Faz, I think he only missed one. Game management. Marrow was big, I thought. He's been invisible at times during the World Cup for me, but he was massive. And we looked a lot more cohesive in what we're doing. I don't know that's because Marcus Smith is playing fullback and it just gives us a bit more excitement and that desire to get the ball out there into his hands. But our shape was a lot better until the about the 65th minute mark when you just know that Fiji have got it in them to score from anywhere on the field because of their size, because of their power, because of their offloading game. And the game actually came down to one offload not going to hand. It was... What led to Billy Vernapola picking the ball up, giving it to Ben Earl, Ben Earl running 60 metres. And how good was he, by the way? But that offload, round the back, I think it was Curavoli who's tried to get the offload away. 
and he's steaming through. The Fijian lad is absolutely steaming through. There ain't no stopping him from there. But goes to deck. That point, Fiji take the lead, probably win the game. Benno gets the ball off Billy after he's picked it up and goes back however many metres. But it was much improved from England and you know, a real confidence boost into how far we were in control in the head at 24-10 up, but showed our frailties, but then again found the way to win because they were level, weren't they? 24-24, you know, Faz gets the drop goal, players stepped up, and it's going to be a whole different test this weekend, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But you can only be positive about where England have got to, having been pretty abject for God knows how long, but the draw has been favourable to us. So we're all good. We're in the semis. And this is where, as we talked about, it gets serious playing a big team and people will go, well, you've not even played a big team. Argentina was shocking. Argentina in the semis as well, by the way. Yeah, I'm positive about England. It was a big performance. You know, Steve was brave putting Smith at fullback. Interesting to see whether he does that this weekend. Faz was big. I thought Marchant was out of this world good at 13. Guess what, Steve? You pick players in their right positions and they actually play well. Ben Earl, just ridiculous. Jamie George. How good is Jamie George? Like, he looks like he shouldn't be anywhere near as good as he is. And he looks like he needs to pack in after 60 minutes. But the boy can go and go and go and go, can't he? Yeah. And that was what, what was going to be needed. Like the likes of Jamie George, been there and done it. Yeah, Marrow, I'd agree. Like big performance from him. Like these are big players. And this is the conversation going into the semi final. Like when they're desperate, when they're on it, I thought Genji as well. He looked desperate. He looked like he had a bit of fucking Genji in him, bit of dog. Yeah. Bit of Genji in him. Yeah. He had a bit of baby rhino in him. Like looked like he wanted to go. So I don't know. Can they pull something out that can unsettle South Africa? And like I'll go back to my point before the tournament started. It doesn't matter how badly England play, they find a way to win and they've got history in the tournament. Oh three win it. Oh seven finalists when they weren't playing well. Last World Cup, World Cup finalists. So, you know, when you speak to people in and around the stadium from different countries, like Argentinians, French people in the media, like legends of the game, that's what they say about England. As uncomfortable viewing as it can be at some times, as disjointed as it seems, like it has seemed for the last year or so, they find a way. But they're up against the world champions. And if you, again, we go back to it, England will have to be at a level that South Africa have been at for the last few weeks, which they were. They were up there against Tonga, against Scotland. England are going to have to get to a level that they haven't got to since, I would say, probably the semi-final four years ago, if they're going to be in with a shout of beating South Africa. So what's interesting, I was hosting on Saturday at Flatiron Square, and an England fan came up to me, and he's watching some of the England boys, and he said, you can see why no one likes England, can't you? when you're looking at that team. I mean, what do you mean? He's like, you know, look at them celebrating and this and that. And you can see why people dislike the English. And it's the first time I thought, yeah, he's probably right. He's probably right. Farrell's berating the referee. I like what B. Neil does, though. Yeah, I know. Like you say that, Andy Rowe. Look, I'm, I know some of these players. I played with Ben Earl. Like I coached him in the academy when I was at Saracens. He is a lovely lad. Like Lovely lad. There's lads in this, like Jamie George. Like I speak to Jamie. Like I like Jamie a lot. Like a huge amount of respect for him as well. Like Dan Cole was way past it and doesn't like me. But I grew up with Coley. <laughs> I grew up with Coley as a player. We were at Leicester together as kids. You know, Ben Young's exactly the same. I think the thing is, is it's a historic thing with England where mm. people don't warm to them. It's the way that Farrell interacts with 
the media, his players, and has that kind of scowl on his face, which is him. That's Owen Farrell, right? I think the thing is around England and that press conference with Joe Marley kind of summed it up. Like there's this kind of arrogance and like a little bit of entitledness that came out of that press conference. Like I weren't going to talk about it. I weren't going to say it because I don't want to get into it. But you're right. Like I think from a, a, what other team have you seen? Have you seen any other team act like England in a press conference like that? Have you seen any other coach as well give as little as Steve Borthwick has in this tournament? I said on September the 9th, we would be ready for the World Cup. And I have so, I'm, I'm so excited for these players. Uh, you know, they're great men. This guy next to me, he's such a leader in how he he conducts himself every day. This isn't about Steve Borth, who has to be Eddie Jones or Rassius Rasmus or has to be charismatic. This isn't that Joe Marlon needs to sit there like a Sia Khaleesi or uh, Damien Delalande and give the same vibe off. This is them being them, right? Yeah. And there's actually a romance in arrogance. Like, I quite like that. I quite like that part of the game. But I just understand from other people's point of view, when you're playing the way that you play, it's not as if they're setting the world alight and they come in with a white Mohican and give off this kind of brash, almost like tumbleweeds thing. As a team, collectively, like they haven't played that well and they've got into a semi-final. So people are not going to like that as well. Yeah. But it's also people don't like English people. Like that is the thing in all sports. You know, you think about the teams that people want to beat. Everyone talks about England. It's a historic thing. It's because we're the greatest, James. Yeah, well, you layer that with some of the arrogance that we've seen. That's why there's a dislike. Owen Farrell's getting booed in the stadium. I'm, I'm trying to work out who was booing him. A bit, a bit of both. I'd say it's a bit of both. Some England fans. Well, it's not going to be for jeans. Like they're not going to hate on Owen, are they? So I'd say it's a little bit of both, and it's this kind of caricature around him but what's undeniable is that this team when the pressure's on when their backs are against the wall well they've done it as poor as they've been in the world cup in small parts it's undeniable they've won every single game they are the only team standing so whether or not our oh, argentina were crap like you just said Goody, they're in the semi-finals like fiji like have been phenomenal they absolutely smoked australia yeah, you're right. And it's there's a siege mentality to England at the minute. Like, everyone hates us. We don't care. And that just grows, right? The vibe. And it's a pretty shit vibe at times. And Eng- England, I don't know if they play up to it, but it, like how Steve is in the press conferences, it's like him against the world, but he wants to get his answers across in the manner that he wants to. Not what the question is. It's his narrative. So, look, I, I mean, I get it from an outsider point of view. And some England fans have said to me, they're hard to watch, hard to support. But now we're in a semi and the atmosphere apparently was bouncing. I had some mates over there, it was bouncing in Marseille. We're in it, boys. We're in it. Fans is back. Uh, mate, it's a one-off we. game. Did you say we? Did I say we? You said we. Uh, he. Jim said he. we. I said he. He said we. Said he. he said we. <laughs> Jim's English again. I think rugby needs a good England team. I, I do. Like I've always said it and I'll always will say it. And I want England to do well. It benefits... England benefits the Premiership, but benefits us on the podcast to talk about. I mean, let's be honest, I don't think any players are coming on anytime soon. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think about this the other day. If we wanted someone on, who could we get on? I'll get on with Joe Marchant. And Marla. Mate, you're tweeting. Like, you and Marla are tweeting. Like, literally, he's in the changing room and he's it's tweeting. passive aggressive, isn't it, though? You're, you're like, creating content together. He hates me. I think he's a tool. It's fine. You are in the pub, Goody, with the fans. And he is in the changing rooms with the players. And there is this kind of untangible connection that you've got. There's no one else in rugby world that has that <laughs> apart from you and him. No one. 
You're like brothers. It's a love-hate. Yeah, I would say, Andy Rowe, that's a great analogy. Like, there ain't a huge amount of difference in how you look. You are like brothers. You know what someone said to me today, one of the lads in the office said to me today, what we should do is do like a charity boxing thing. And I'm like, there's fucking no chance I'm getting in a boxing ring with anyone. He's like, yeah, but imagine how well it would go down. Like, not just me, but a rugby <laughs> series of people that really don't like each other. I'm like, it'd be great for 20 seconds where there's windmills going and haymakers... And then 20 seconds later, everyone, no one can breathe. And it's hugging, like the shit show that was the weekend. Well, that's it. If you go based on that at the weekend, I'm telling you now, we'd put on a testicle spectacle. <laughs> Millions. As much as, as much as the world might hate England, on the other side of the halfway line, the world loves Fiji. How good have they been for the tournament? Unreal. Amazing. Amazing. The colour that they bring, their performances, their smiles the stories yeah the stories the, the fans that are there the neutrals that are supporting them and they're doing it and they're supporting them because of how they conduct themselves and how they play the game of rugby and that you know we've had Simon Rao Louis on here what a lovely bloke as their leader but it's more about just the smiles on their faces they've got some freak athletes right and England handled some of their freak athletes really well I thought like chop tackle galore and the physicality that we showed, but they have been an absolute breath of fresh air, a pleasure to watch, to see the content that they've put, been putting out as well. Everything you hear about them, you cannot dislike a thing about it. And people fall in love with Fijians and the game of rugby and how it's played and how they conduct themselves. So, you know, I'm obviously delighted England through and I'm watching the game and I knew everyone in the world except for England fans and even something I'm hosting and there's a table of 15 England fans and I'm going out with the mic and they're like, we want Fiji to win. I'm like, you're fucking English lads. Like, yeah, but we love Fiji more. And that says, that speaks volumes to me, doesn't it? Around an England fan or a bunch of England fans wanting Fiji to beat England. So we don't even like ourselves sometimes, but yeah, Fiji, absolute privilege to have seen them, watched them, spoken to them, have them a part of the World Cup and they'll be gutted a few bits went against them. Lamani's kicks at goal. But that pass was the one I agree with you. One pass away. Yeah, one little offload where it could have been a try and that's the difference. And again, we talked about tossing a coin between France and Africa, tossing a coin between Ireland and the All Blacks as the difference. Technically, it was the same for Fiji. At 24-10, it should no, never have been the case, but they got momentum Phenomenal athletes, phenomenal rugby players, phenomenal people. And obviously everyone's very sad to see them go. But we're English and we're in the semis, lads. Are you and your mate the ultimate sports fanatics? Well, we're on the hunt for a duo to take the sports podcast scene by storm. We're looking for two mates who eat, sleep and breathe sports and are closet comedians. From football to rugby, cricket to UFC, tennis and everything in between. If you've spent hours arguing over whether Ronaldo is the GOAT or just a git, answering life's most random questions, or reviewing the latest banger on Netflix, it's time to turn your chat and love for sport into your very own podcast. And here's the kicker. We've got a massive £10,000 fund for the lucky pair. That's right, ten grand just for being yourselves and chatting, well, semi-educated funny shit. To be in a running, all you need to do is send us a five-minute pilot episode. Just you and your mate, talking sports, talking life, and making every listener feel like they want to be sitting at your table down the pub. So, grab your mic or just your phone, pick your favourite sports or topics, and let your personality shine. Show us what you've got, and who knows, you might be the new voices of sports podcasting. 
Just send your pilot episode to mysportspodcast at gmail.com. That's mysportspodcast at gmail.com. And let your love for all things sports and comedy do the talking. Let's take a break from the quarterfinals now and speak to the captain of the team that's stolen everyone's hearts at this World Cup. Portugal's Thomas Appleton joins us. How are you, mate? Good, good. All good. Thanks. Thomas, first and foremost, congratulations on the victory over Fiji. And congratulations, not just that, the way the whole team, yourself, all you fans handled themselves during the World Cup. It was an absolute pleasure to watch from the outside. And I'll, I'll admit it now, I go on holiday to Portugal, to the Algarve, three times a year. I love the place. I'm after a passport. How's it been for you since, obviously, you've come back to Portugal? You must be an absolute hero now. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been insane, to be honest. We got back on, on Tuesday after the World Cup and we, we didn't stop. We had first thing was the, the reception at the airport was was unbelievable. To be honest, we're, we're not expecting a thing that big. After we qualified for the World Cup in Dubai in November, we had a, a nice reception at the airport, but nothing compared to that. That was unbelievable. And for us, a lot of amateur players, a lot of people who are not recognized at all on the streets to get such a, a good welcome is it's it's amazing but then after after we arrived here we we had a reception by the president of the republic of portugal and that was unbelievable we got invited to to watch the the football with the national team we got a, a standing standing ovation during the the half time uh, on that game and we had the chance to to meet some players and to be with them so and even even this week it's we're full of things to do so it's a bit hard to to get back to reality. Yeah. What does reality look like for you? Maybe give people an idea of what normality means. So I think it depends a bit from player to player. But for example, for me, normality is, for example, today in the morning I was in university because I, apart from being a rugby player, I'm also a dentist as well. And I'm doing my medicine degree. I finished my dentistry course six years ago now. But then I, two years ago, I decided to starting to, to take medicine as well. So yeah, I got back to to appointments, to, to dentist appointments. Obviously, I got back to university today. So that's the reality, but still, it's it's hard to manage. Daisy, played at a World Cup, you're a dentist, and you're now studying medicine on top of that. Jim, we are very much inferior to Thomas here. <laughs> what was the reception like back in, obviously, the dentist office and at the university? Like, you must be treated like a hero and rightfully so but also like Jim says how hard is it to just get back to doing people's teeth in in your day job when you've lived such a high over that weekend beating Fiji and then obviously the scenes afterwards what what happened is I missed four months of work so as soon as I got back every every one of my, I had my full schedule and every one of my patients was like aren't you that guy aren't you that <laughs> uh, captain of the rugby team Yes, yes, I am. Uh, so yeah, that was a bit weird. Then today at university was was nice. Everyone was was complimenting and and giving a, a big shout after what we did. So yeah, it's getting pretty. Rugby is getting pretty famous here. Yeah. Do you look after Ronaldo's teeth, or did that just come round? <laughs> no, I should. I forgot. I forgot to, to tell him. To be honest, I was a bit. I had no idea what to say uh, when I met him, but I should have told him. Did he watch it? Yeah. Just to explain what happened with Ronaldo, I was. I know two, one or two guys from the team, for example, Bernard Silva. I, I know him well. And I was talking to him in the door of the changing room. 
And they were all saying, oh, you'll have to wait for a bit because Ronaldo is taking a bath. He's going to take a small massage and you'll have to wait. And when I was waiting, I was speaking to, to them and speaking to the doctor. And he was, I was saying, oh, Ronaldo seems a bit, a bit unreachable sometimes. I, I have no idea if Ronaldo watched this or he has any idea uh, of what's happening. And the guy, the, one of the doctors told me he watched every game. Because really? it's, it's in the physio room that people talk and talk about everything. And we were having all the TVs were on your game. So most of the people from the team watch you. So I was really, really, really proud with that. That was good. Yeah, and it's good, massive for our sport as well. We've seen the people that have been to some of the games. I've been pitch side with some of the talent from other sports, Formula One drivers there's been people in the music industry as well so it's massive that i know it's ronaldo and we can all be like oh my gosh but it also shows the level of performances from your team as well thomas and i'll be honest i was surprised what made your team so good in this tournament that there are different factors it's not investment for sure money wise i'm saying we had a really good couple of under 20 team we were finalists of the we call it the World Rugby Championship. It's not the World Cup. The under-20s is the one that's below. We were finalists of that like three years or years in a row and we got a lot of talent from there. And one of the things that I have to say is Patrice. Patrice Lajiske, for sure. He, he left now, but I have to say it's an unbelievable coach. So this cycle began, began um, four years ago. And if I can tell you four years ago, the first game of Patrice, we lost against Brazil by one point. <laughs> they got a good scrum though. They got a good scrum Brazil. Yeah, but, but still it's not the, we all respect to Brazil. It's not the, it's not the level that we want to, we want to play. And four months after we won against them by 40 in two games straight in a row. And we just felt that we were, we were growing and growing. After that, uh, we just came from the third division uh, in Europe and we won straight away against Romania and Belgium. And it started to, to grow on us. And then we had uh, some opportunities we played against Japan on the November internationals. And that was a big, a big click for us because we lost against Japan. Like in the last play of the game, uh, we had a chance to win, uh, but we got an interception and we, and we lost by something like 10 points or something. And we started to understand like, we can, we can do this. We can, we can compete against these kind, these kind of teams. Have the agents been on the phone? Have clubs been in contact with any of the players because there was some absolute diamonds within your team that I had never seen play before and again they weren't one-off performances they were like consistently high skill set physical you think about the teams that were in your pool just to kind of lay with the point I know that you know but you've got Wales in the Six Nations you know got into a quarterfinal the same with Fiji into a quarterfinal Australia won the World Cup in years gone by and your lads we're competing with them. Surely the phones must be going now and people are thinking money ball here, thinking there's players that could play at a high level. Yeah, so some of the players in the last two years, some of them already went to France, especially some of the gems and diamonds that you, you, are, you are talking about. But yeah, we're having some approaches. But to be honest, it's a bit not as many as I would, I would think. I think we really did really well. On the World Cup, but still, I'm not sure if every every team is signing at the moment. But I I know that some of the players have offers, but not like not everyone, not that many that many players. Right, well, I'm gonna be your agent. Let's get you a club, England <laughs> yeah. or France? Where do you fancy? Probably France. I think. <laughs> 
the Rugby Europe Championship fixtures have just been announced, haven't they? Do you know what the plan is around that? So what they do is we have two two groups of four teams and then we play a semi-final and final. That's how it works during February and March. The same usually it's the same weekends as Six Nations. No pressure at all, but you've got to win it now, lads, haven't you? You've had an amazing World Cup. First game against Belgium away, third of Feb. Also known as Belgique. Yeah. Belgique. Yeah. yeah, well done, James. Thank you. You definitely got to win it now, mate, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, of course. I think I think now the pressure is on us. I think it's between us and Georgia. Last year, we played the final against Georgia. And to be honest, we were smashed. But then getting to the World Cup and drew against them when we could have won, it makes a big difference. But yeah, we have some months to, to work on. But what I think sometimes is Georgia has a way bigger fame. They play a lot more intense and top-level games comparing to us. So that makes a difference, and that's what we want to do. Is we want to more games to the, where we can compete and play against tier one teams, but usually it doesn't happen. So hey, everyone needs a tour to Portugal. That's all I know. Hell of a place, Jim. Before we let Thomas go, did you want to ask him about your B fours and bad breath, or well, we've got yeah, they're actually. I think they're D threes now. Jim's got. They're not. They're, he's, it's he's got genetic. The worst, honestly, Thomas, he's got the worst teeth and breath I've ever smelled in my life. Can you help him out, please? <laughs> no, I haven't got bad breath at all. I've got yellowish teeth, but I'm not one for throwing loads of money at. You know, Thomas, just you so have, you know... You have to come to my clinic here in Lisbon, man. I will. Okay, yes, my teeth are awful. I'm coming to Lisbon. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see Jim Hamilton play? Uh, to be honest, no. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Just, yeah, don't worry. So I tried to tell my kids as well that I played and there's no evidence out there. So. <laughs> All right, Thomas. Hey, thank you very much for joining us and best of luck with the Rugby Europe Championship as well, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers, Thomas. Thanks, Thomas. Legend, mate. Well done as well. Congratulations. See you. Thank you very much, mate. See you in Lisbon for a few beers. Yeah. See ya. Top, Top like Yeah. One of the success stories of the World Cup. Yeah, dentist, medicine, rugby player. Yeah, you get you get them like that, don't you? Very good looking guy, great teeth, good rugby player, lives in Lisbon, tanned. He's everything that you and I aren't, Jim. What a absolute mm. lovely bloke. What a story. I'm getting on his coattails in Lisbon. Drop the twins off, off we go. A few beers. Wales, one of the other undefeated sides going into the quarterfinals. How big of a moment was that when Dan Bigger went off? Dan Bigger or Jaco Piper when he blew out his calf? <laughs> I heard that Carl Dixon had his sniper out in the stands because he knew he was next on. Bang, in the back of Piper's calf, Achilles, whatever, and then he comes on. Are you saying that Dicko didn't do a good job, Jim? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that that is in a quarterfinal. I can't remember the last time we've seen that, a ref going off. When I was watching that, I do wonder because the referees are, a, are always a talking point. They haven't really been a huge talking point, but when you get into the quarters and the semis, the amount of analysis that goes in around the different referees, like when that happened and Jaco Piper, I thought he got more of toe. I thought he got stood on when he got ran into, but he blew out his calf. But I do wonder whether or not the coaches know that if Jaco Piper was to come off, Carl Dixon was next in line. Do you know what I mean? Like, as in that is something that, well, they probably will do now considering. Yeah, I'm sure they'd know. Would the players know that, right, so Carl Dixon is next in line. He is a referee that favours the attack or the defence or, do you know what I mean? I don't think you've got time to go into that detail, but I'm, I'm no. going to say it on here. Carl Dixon, I thought, handled the pressure of the changeover. I thought he refed really well. And there's the contentious issue around... Hang on, what? what hang on. Hang Tompkins on. getting hang smashed what, in the face. What's happened? 
What's happened? Just, mate, I'm just honest. I like, I give my opinions and they mean very little outside of my own little head. But when there's praise to be given, I'll give praise. And when there's question marks to be made about referees, I'll question it. I ain't bothered, lads. But I thought Carl Dixon handled it really well. I don't get where the Welsh are unhappy about the refereeing. The only one that I can see is the Tompkins one where he gets banged in the face. But does he even get really banged in the face? The lad is going for the clean out and he's targeting someone else. Tompkins kind of lifts his head up and it's a pure rugby incident. So I was 100% with Carl Dixon on his decision then. TMO was going down another line. That's the issue, Goody, because that kind of decision over the weekend, we've seen yellow cards for rugby collisions. We've seen... Where though? In the past as well. Where have we seen a yellow card for a rugby collision like that at the weekend? Well, no, as in like head contact. I know not specifically on on a clear up. If we're talking about Etzebeth's one, Etzebeth is just going for a tackle on that guy. Yeah. So he's created the head contact. I mean, Guido Petty has come in and he's targeting someone completely different to clean out. Cleans out and it's just, a, it's like his arm. And it's because Tompkins stands up and then gets hit in the face. It's a rugby incident, that is. And the TMO Maris Yonker was trying to convince Carl Dixon that it's at least a yellow card. Now, I'm backing Carl Dixon here. He had the nuts to look at it. And as an ex-player himself, and here's, here's maybe a difference, as an ex-player, he understands that Guido Petty is aiming at the breakdown at someone else. And it's a pure instant that Tompkins pops his head up and his shoulder catches him in the face. The, the difficult thing is Tompkins then has to go off for a... HIA. That's the difficult thing because his face was raging. But my argument would be, Goody, on that, my only argument here, and if you've noticed throughout the tournament, I haven't argued the case with anything, but because they are such big moments, even rugby incidents have been given as a penalty minimum. So any head contact yeah, you're right. that we've seen throughout the tournament has been given as a penalty. Yep, and right. the issue that the Wales have, I can absolutely see it because then Argentina kicked to the corner, the driving line out, and then subsequently a few phases after they end up scoring and that's the turning point. Nick Tompkins goes off for a HIA. That is the only thing that I would argue. So fair play to Carl Dixon for having the nuts. He gets buried after every game anyway, so it's going to be nothing different. But these at the highest level are the ones when fans are looking at it. Yeah. And yes, they're different mechanisms. I actually quite like the fact that they're not just willy-nilly yellow card in players bunkering them and then getting sent off. There's clearly been a shift. My point is, is I've seen stuff like that given as a yellow card, but absolute minimum as a penalty. And these are the big decisions that are being made at the highest level, which are costing teams a place. So whether or not I agree or not agree, but that's just going in line with what fans are saying. Yeah, and I'm completely with you on your description there. What I'm saying is I think Carl Dixon handled that brilliantly in just his isolated opinion as a referee uh, and not worrying about what's gone on before or what he should do. Because most referees there probably go, oh, definitely contact, give it a yellow and hope that the bunker makes a better decision because they're panicking now, aren't they? And he had the nuts and bolts to say, nah, I think that's a rugby instant. And if Wayne Barnes had done that, everyone would be patting him on the back mm. and saying, well done, Wayne. A lot of people would be patting him on the back. You're still going to get people disagreeing, but Dicko, fair play. Wales, Achilles Hill. James, I've said it for years. You should be their line-out coach. Line-out. You caught a Welsh as well. They lost 40%. I had Wales down to win. I'm not a quarter Welsh, uh, but I do like the Welsh. If I give you my quarter, you could go and be their line-out coach. I don't want to do that. I wouldn't <laughs> want the stress of doing it and the anxiety of doing it. But 40% lost line-out again. You ain't winning games 
at the highest level when you haven't got a line out that doesn't function. However that looks, whether or not it's hooker, drill, whatever. That that's the difference. Spoke about the all blacks, that's the shift, getting Jason Ryan come in there. So Wales want to push on, you've got to get your set piece sorted. They lost a couple of scrums as well. Should we have a look ahead now to the semi finals then? Okay then, where do England need to get better to beat the box, Goody? Everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Genuinely everywhere. Not goal kicking. Give us a percentage. How much percentage do they need to be better, Goody? They need to get 38.4% better. Oh, I was going to say 40% better, which is a big number. So Close. it's slightly bigger than yours. Only, yeah. two, we'll just say 2%. I can't, can't work out the one point. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. I, knew it was, I knew it was going to be closer. I, just, I was going to say 1.7, but I forgot <laughs> what you said. But I agree. Mate, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. But I'll go back to my original point, because on Twitter, I did quote, comment, tweet someone and say that this England team have got history, blah, 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 blah. We've gone through it before. But desperate men make dangerous men. Yeah. And if they go into this game and they are desperate and they get to the levels in which they can do, and then players... It's not as if you've got Farrell's never been at that level. You've got Genji never been at that level. Jamie, Jamie George, George, Manu. Barrow, like Manu. There you go. Start name dropping the players. They've got to that level of desperation. Yeah. And when you get to that level, you're dangerous. And this is a one-off game now in the semi-finals. Not that I'm convincing people that England are going to beat South Africa. I am. Come on, England! There are a couple of deficiencies that I've seen in South Africa. Oh, here we go. Where where England can attack them. First of all, the tail of the line-out, that, the hinge at the back of the line-out, where you shorten a line-out, you have a peel round, there's a lot of space there. Mal Herber's generally at the back of the line-out. There's a lot of yardage to be made there in those channels with some cute plays. So there is opportunities there, but obviously to do that, you've got to have line-outs in attacking zones. Let's be honest, who saw France more than them 20 metres? Who saw that coming? Mm. So England will have a go at them all. Quickly. Yeah, but it's got to be... Listen, everything England have got to do has got to be at a pace that we've only probably displayed in 5% of our game. Like, there's been some snippets where we played at pace, but the top teams are doing it for 60 minutes, relentlessly. So... Jacking back to short sides, I think France got a lot of change out of that as well. I think if you're going the same way against Africa and it's slow and ponderous, then we are going to get absolutely monstered. So in attack, it, we've got to play at a pace. It'd be interesting to see selections, obviously, going to be key and uh, what the South Africans do. But midfield, jackbacks, sometimes they overfold. There is yards to be had down there. Listen, England have got to raise their game significantly, like 38.4% significantly, 40% in Jim's eyes. But we can do it. There are world-class players in our team with World Cup experience of getting to a final. You need to use the hurt of four years ago where we got dismantled in the final. You know, Eddie Jones turned up on the bus late. Imagine that. You get to a World Cup final and then Eddie's fucked up and the bus is late. And then the knock-on effect of that stuff, everyone was a bit frazzled. So preparation's key. I think there's 20% chance that England can win this game. But 20% is a decent amount for an England squad by the rest of the world are probably saying it's a foregone conclusion, right? Because of how good South Africa have been. 
South Africa like to play a stop-start game, right? They like to kick it out. They like to go set piece to set piece and slow the game down where they can. Um, no, no, I'd say that that's the old South Africa. I'd well, say they kicked it out twelve times in the last game. Different layers. Yeah, I know, but that's yeah, they kicked it out twelve times. But you actually look. So they also did mark it under no pressure in your twenty-two scrum. Call a scrum, and the forwards have got to run back thirty-five. What was meters. that about? That was just how big are your balls, lads. Wow, and they showed them how big they were because they got a penalty, then they missed touch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but imagine that. I think South Africa have got another layer to their game. Their kicking game, they go, they keep the ball in, they keep Peter Steph to toy in the five meter channels, Ebenezer to Beth, they go high with the kicks. Yeah, that's why Freddie Stewart, for me, have to, mm. has to start for England. It's really hard call, actually, because Marcus, and I go back to the conversation that we had before Scotland played Ireland, and when we talked about their selection, whether you go Hamish or whether you go Hugh Jones in the centres, you know, you can't die wondering in this. So technically I'd leave Marcus Smith at fullback and I'd have Freddie Stewart on the, on the wing. Yeah. And I'd drop Johnny May. I think Johnny May's been nowhere near the level that we've seen from him, not even recently. He's been poor for a while. So I'd go Freddie Stewart on the wing and keep Marcus at He fullback. definitely needs to play. Freddie definitely needs to play. Yeah. You look at how South Africa beat France. They got two tries from kicking to that far right side. One try comes from Aaron to picking it up and then the other one, Etzebeth gets it back and then it goes on to Dierlande, doesn't it? And then a little pick and go and a little pop from Reinach to back to Dierlande to score. So yeah, it's it's going to be huge. I'd drop Johnny May and I'd have Freddie Stewart. I'd keep Marcus Smith in at fullback because he adds an excitement, a pace, a layer of attack where it may not work for England, but at least you're asking the questions. Marcus will ask questions of South Africa from fullback and you can move him around defensively. You can put him blindside wing. You can put Elliot Daly to fullback and Freddie Stewart on that far wing or swap them around. There's ways and means of dealing with that, but I'm binning off Johnny May and I'm having Freddie Stewart back in the team. But Mark is still wearing the 15 jersey. Score predictions? Do you want the hype man or analyst man? I want both because I'm going to give one with my heart, one with my head. Okay. So for me, South Africa win. They're just too good from what I've seen. I don't know where England pull a performance out that can match what I've seen over the last few weeks with South Africa, even that game against Ireland where they missed a few kicks at goal. I think South Africa win. I think England give the very best account of themselves. I think they play as good as they've ever played, especially under Steve Borthwick. But I think South Africa win by 11. Ooh. But again, that's a guess, isn't it? It's like the scoreline's a guess. What about the hype man? Then South Africa win by 40. Oh, <laughs> shut up, John. <laughs> so you're going to hype it up. England uh, are going to squeak it. I haven't seen it. I cannot. I cannot hype them up. Yeah. If they gave me something, and I agree they were good against Fiji in parts, they showed a bit of see you next Tuesday in some of their collisions, both attack and defence. We also switched off a bit as well, didn't we? Yeah, it's like we're watching two different games. Though. Yeah. Like, as it, I know what you're saying. You were trying to big up the Marseille games. From my perspective, it was like almost... Two different tournaments. Yeah. I'm going to go, my heart's going to say England are going to squeak it by two points with big fuzz. Owen Farrell, leading charge, just getting better week on week and just excited to play in final again. But my head's saying South Africa by 12. And with England performing to our limits and having the bit between our teeth, having the boys with a bit about them, as we've seen in patches against Fiji, but I just think South Africa have too much. And England fans come at me, say, you're being negative. I'm just being honest. It's just what I think. Desperate for England to win, but 
like huge amount of respect for the South Africa team. We didn't even talk about Khaleesi getting taken off after 45 minutes. Yeah, it looked like he might have been carrying something. I saw that and I'm like, there's your skip gone. Mm. They changed Marlon Lebock early as well. It'd be interesting what South Africa go with because I think they stick with the same. Yeah. You know, Marlon Lebock and you've got Andre Pollard to come on. But how about Nienaba and Razzie, the geniuses? All the chat a few weeks ago was about the 7-1 bench. They went back to traditional 5-3 and it can be anything. So, yeah, unfortunately, I'm going South Africa by 12. Yeah, Faf starts at nine. Argentina or Blacks? Oh, foregone conclusion. No, James. No. There's a chance. All right. Less than England have got a chance. Yes, less than England, I'd say. I, just, I don't know how you go, and maybe this is the story. I mean, one thing, Argentina are well-supported. Proud nation, Latino flair, Latino spirit. But anyone who's watching rugby, any expert, analyst, hype man, name the Argentinian 15 without missing a beat compared to naming the All Blacks 15. Not that that is a snapshot of how a team's going to win, yeah. but it gives you a pretty good idea in terms of the quality. And that might be harsh to say. Love Argentina, love what they stand for, Argentinian friends. But from what I saw with the All Blacks there, from the history in the tournament, I would be more surprised of any game that I've seen in this tournament if Argentina beat the All Blacks. I just don't think they get anywhere near them. You did say a surprise is coming though, didn't you, during the World Cup? Did I? At some point. Did I? Well, I think yeah. I, I think we had one, didn't we, with Scotland getting knocked out by... No, that was not <laughs> a surprise. That was not a surprise, James. Yeah, I mean, you know what Checker needs to do? He needs to come out and say, have New Zealand played their final already? Because it kind of works for the other teams. Yeah, I mean, I'm with Jim. New Zealand were phenomenal. Andy Rowe, when was the last time that Argentina beat New Zealand? Wasn't that long ago, was it? It wasn't long ago. It was in Christchurch last year. There you go. So there the will be belief from Los Pumas. But I'm with Jim. The level that New Zealand got to, they didn't look bad and bruised, did they? Are there any injuries, Andy Rowe, from your inside WhatsApp groups of knowledge? They're fresh. They're fresh. They're fresh. I'd love to see Argentina win it. How good would it be for World Rugby if Argentina beat New Zealand, James? Um, South American market, the fans that they bring, getting Messi to the final, yeah, it'd be pretty big. Yeah, so we both want Argentina to beat New Zealand, yeah? I, uh, I don't know. Well, I, it doesn't yeah, matter what you no, want. What, no. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? It's not elitist, Joe. Look, we, we need to stop being elitist. We, we need to see a different name on the trophy. Call it Goody. Who's winning it? Hart is desperate for Argentina to win because I think it would be unbelievable to see their fans. How good are their fans? Unreal. Their fans, you talk about an atmosphere, there'll be an atmosphere in that semi-final in Paris with the Argies around. I'm going to go, Hart wants Argentina, head says New Zealand by 14. And Jim? Oh, hype man. All blacks by 24. 24? 20. All right, 20 then. (laughs) (laughs) Right, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, we're going to start off with the good and the premiership was back, ladies and gentlemen. We've been talking just World Cup because there's so much to talk about. But the Prem was back at the weekend. I was down in Exeter and they are going to get a mention in the good. I was on TNT Sports and Exeter absolutely destroyed Saracens with a young team. Massive shout out to Rob Baxter and his new wave of players coming through. Imagine all the players they've lost. Josh Hodge at fullback was the hat-trick hero. Absolute worldly performance by him. So they get a mention in the good. Bristol's get a mention in the good as well. They started with a bang to beat Leicester Tigers 25 points to 14. Gabriel Ibitoye got two tries. He was on fire. Gloucester get a mention in the good this week. Last minute victory over Harlequins. 
Quinns thought they'd won it with a breakaway try, but it got pulled back for some head contact and a penalty to Gloucester. They end up scoring from close range. So big shout out to Zach Mercer as well. He had a big performance on debut. Finn Russell gets a shout in the good, straight out of the World Cup, straight to Bath in the Lambo. On with the jersey. He's on the bench. He comes on after 31 minutes and he's just fizzing balls around all over the place. Good start for Bath as well. I think they're going to be good this year. Geordie Barrett gets a mention in the good for holding up Ronan Kelleher. Massive performance. The boot on the fella. He was outstanding at 12 for the All Blacks. Matthias Moroni's tri-saver on Lewis Reese Zamitz gets a mention in the good. How good. Match winner. Unreal. Match winner oh, for Moroni. Unreal. Absolutely brilliant. Great techers as well. Sometimes you see boys charging across and just kind of dip a shoulder but Moroni was out of this world good with that tackle so big shout out to him what else was good Ben Earl's performance 16 tackles 11 carries 97 metres made 7 tackle breaks 2 line breaks he was outstanding Faz gets a mention in the good as well for his captain's performance kicking 20 points Cheslin Colby he's going to get a mention in the good for his charge down Fafter Clerk his impact off the bench Quagga Smith Eben Etzebeth huge performances by all Johnny Sexton's son it's going to get a mention of the good. All the pain of Johnny Sexton losing that game, his career, what a warrior. Ireland's greatest ever player, so we wish him well in retirement. But Johnny Sexton's son, we've all seen the clip where he looks at his dad. I don't think Johnny Sexton can even hear it because he's devastated, but he says you're still the best dad. So uh, outstanding from Johnny Sexton's son. But the good this week is going to go to all things Paris and those two games, the atmosphere, the noise, Rugby union at its best with those two games, the All Blacks against Ireland, South Africa against France. You will never see two better back-to-back games over two days. So those two games are going to get the good this week. The bad, few bits of bad. We're going to start off with Leicester Tigers, who were poor in the first half down at Bristol. 22-0 down at half-time. A pretty lame start to the season for them, but they will bounce back. They got a bit better in the second half. But the bad this week, Jim, <laughs> goes to Saracens. You'll be happy though, Jim, because they got their pants pulled down, skid marks galore with their biggest ever premiership defeat, 65 points to 10 to the extra chief, 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 chiefs. Do you know their biggest ever premiership defeat before Saturday, James? Wasps. Was it 62? And you played in it, didn't you? I don't remember that. Yeah, he did. You did. You did. So your record has gone, Jim. A good record to lose. But yeah, Saracens get the bad this week. Abject performance. I've never seen a Saris team with as little heart as that at the weekend and as little effort. They got absolutely hosed. So that's why they get the bad this week. And then the two bits of ugly for me. First, Anton Dupont. He gets a mention in the ugly. His Ooh. criticism of Ben O'Keefe's performance. I'm not having it. You can't be calling out referees like that as a player. Have some respect for the officials. But... Ben O'Keefe, you need to learn some French as well. Uh, that gets a mention in the ugly, but the ugly this week goes to Napoleon and the England fans. Who scraps at rugby games like that? No, Napoleon was there. There was about four of them. The one who did the, the flip over, yeah. he was like the Napoleon's child. Yeah, but he's hard as well, fuck. He, he was. So what are you doing, England fans? Why are you scrapping? We're trying to support England, but I said it. Some England fans don't even like England. But Napoleon and his mates for scrapping in the Marseille stands I ain't having it that's why you get the ugly this week Uh, Asahi beyond expected story this week comes from Neil Wright who is at the Scotland game and sent us in a video of himself proposing to his soon to be wife Susan the game was so tense that he forgot to do it at half time and only remembered when his mum messaged him to ask him how it went anyway she still said yes it's true love I guess fair play Neil thanks Goody thanks Jim 
Thanks, producer Rob, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure that you've subscribed on Spotify. Ruby Spot. Spotify, pod, 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 pod.